This is episode 291 of the AWS podcast, released on January 20th, 2019. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS podcast. Simon Lesher here with you. Great to have you back. Welcome to another update show. So we've got a few things to get through today to hopefully keep you well up to date and well informed. One of the first new things to talk about are some new service level agreements. So these apply to a number of different services that we have at different rates, depending on the nature of the service. The first new service level agreement is for Amazon API Gateway. And this means we'll use commercially reasonable efforts to make API Gateway available within a monthly uptime percentage for each AWS region during any monthly business cycle of at least 99.95%. Lots more details in the show notes, but that's the first one. There's a few others. Amazon EMR now has a 99.9% service level agreement. Amazon EFS now has a 99.9% service level agreement as well. And AWS Direct Connect also has a service level agreement, or this one is a little bit more nuanced. Depending on the configuration you're running, you'll have either a 99.9% SLA or a 99.99% SLA. Like I said, details in the show notes as to what the specific configuration requirements are for the different SLAs. Of course, one of my favorite things to talk about on the podcast are price reductions for our customers. And AWS Fargate has had a price reduction of up to 50%. So effective January the 7th of 2019, the price of AWS Fargate is reducing by 20% for vCPU and 65% for memory across all regions where Fargate is currently available. Now, as a reminder, that's uh, US East North Virginia, US East Ohio, US West North California, US West Oregon, Mumbai, Seoul, Singapore, Sydney, Tokyo, Canada Central, EU Frankfurt, EU Ireland, and EU London. And one of the things that customers really like about Fargate is that they can deploy their container-based workloads without having to worry about the scheduling, the cluster management, etc. It just happens for them. This price reduction means that it's available for more customers and for more workloads. Moving on to databases. Now, many of our customers have been running MongoDB for a long time and use it to store a lot of semi-structured data. So we're pleased to announce that the Amazon DocumentDB with MongoDB compatibility is now generally available. Now what this is, is a fast, scalable, highly available and fully managed document database service that supports MongoDB workloads. So the nice thing is that developers can use the same MongoDB application code, drivers and tools to run, manage and scale their workloads on Amazon DocumentDB and get improved performance, scalability and availability without having to manage the underlying infrastructure. Now, you can easily migrate your existing MongoDB databases that are on-premises or on Amazon EC2 to Amazon DocumentDB for free for six months per instance. And you can do this with virtually no downtime because the AWS Database Migration Service, or DMS, now supports the Amazon DocumentDB with MongoDB compatibility as a target and, of course, supports MongoDB as a source. Now, Amazon DocumentDB brings a lot of things to the table for customers that are pretty exciting. Essentially, it allows you to have a very fault-tolerant, self-healing and scalable platform to run these types of workloads. It scales up to 64 terabytes per database cluster and it implements the Apache 2.0 open source MongoDB 3.6 API by emulating the responses that a MongoDB client expects from a MongoDB server. So this means you should be able to easily test and deploy your existing systems onto this particular service and it should just work. Of course, you get to play with it and get to test it out to make sure it suits your purposes, but really it helps get rid of a lot of that undifferentiated heavy lifting of managing clusters. Now, often when I speak with customers, they talk about the fact that they 
love the new services that come out, but sometimes they come out not in a region that they're using or in some of the regions that they're using, etc. And of course, the teams work very hard to release them as quickly as possible on a global basis. And there've been a few that have been released of late that I wanted to kind of highlight. This is not an exhaustive list. This is simply the list of uh, some of the highlights that I thought I'd call out, but you can always check the infrastructure deployment list uh, link in the show notes as to where a particular service is deployed globally. So some of the really interesting ones include the Amazon EC2 high memory instances are now available in additional AWS regions, including US West Oregon, Europe Ireland, and US GovCloud US West regions. These are particularly useful if you're running uh, SAP because uh, these are certified for uh, running Business Suite on HANA, which is SAP's next generation solution. Amazon Neptune, which is a really interesting, fast, reliable, and fully managed graph database service is now available in Asia Pacific Sydney. So this joins uh, other regions, including North Virginia, Ohio, Oregon, Ireland, London, Frankfurt, and Singapore as well. If you want to deploy some containers on the Elastic Container Service for Kubernetes or EKS, that's now available in Seoul as well. AWS Glue is available in EU Paris region. And the EC2 X1E instances are now available in Asia Pacific Seoul region as well. And finally, if you're an Amazon Pinpoint user, you can now use that in three additional regions, Oregon, Frankfurt, and Ireland, in addition to the US East Virginia region. A quick update in the analytics space. Amazon QuickStart now has some pivot table enhancements and some really interesting cross-schema join capability and a few other cool things. I know that many people who do reporting love them some pivot tables because they're a very useful way to present data. And now the pivot tables in Amazon QuickSight have an updated look and feel with consistent shading and they support copy and pasting cell values. They give you some formatting options to auto fit the screen size. You can clean up that empty space type look. You can also now add totals and subtotals on rows and columns. You can expand and collapse all rows and columns with a single click. And there's also an increase in the row column field limit. So you can have up to 20 values in each of the row and column field wells as well. There's also now pagination as an option. So you can scroll down and across infinitely as well. So this is a really new uh, and better version of the pivot table implementation. It also now supports cross schema and self joins through the UI during data preparation. So what this means is that you can now create data sets in QuickSight from one or more tables across different schemas within the same cluster. So this means you can have tables coming from different schemas, but join them within QuickSight rather than having to join them using some sort of external process. So this is really useful to allow data curators to provide a data table more than once within the environment in a very simple way. There are also a bunch of additional table calculations and uh, other functions that have been uh, provided in terms of some lead and lag functions conditional aggregation functions based on conditions, uh, some ifs, average ifs, etc. And also you can now get a much better view of your recently viewed analyses and dashboards by name and last updated time. You can also do some bulk filtering. Lots and lots of improvements have taken place and they're all available right now. If you're doing work with Amazon SageMaker, one of the new things that's available to you is the ability to encrypt your data between nodes. Now, this is just a setting when you set up your job and uh, there's details in the show notes about how this works. And this allows you to to encrypt any of the cross-node or cross-instance uh, communication that takes place. Now, you should be aware there is a, an overhead in terms of training time and, as a result, uh, some cost implications on that as well because, obviously, it takes a little bit longer to get that across and to uh, encrypt and decrypt. However, for certain workloads, particularly health applications, et cetera, where the encryption of the data, even though it's already in a private VPC, 
is an additional control that you want to put in place that is now available to you as well. Moving on to some compute updates, the Amazon EC2 spot uh, capability now provides you with the ability to do a describe spot instance request in multiple pages. And you may say, why is this important? And that's because people are building really, really, really large sets of spot instances. And what this allows you to do is to set your max results parameter between five and a thousand. So this means you get up to a thousand results in a single page, and then you get a token, which is called the next token. And you can use that to get the next set of results and so on and so forth until you run out of results. This means that you can get uh, your information in a paginated form and is definitely the way to go. If you use Windows in your environment, you'll know that Windows Server 2019 is uh, the latest and greatest version of that operating system. And Amazon EC2 now supports Windows Server 2019 with some new license included AMIs. So this gives you a quick and easy way to get up and running with the latest version of Windows Server. And in the past, it's been interesting as I've watched customers use the Windows platform, they often use these particular AMIs early on to just dip their toe in the water of what the new operating system does, if there's any compatibility issues with existing services or existing applications that they have deployed, and just to get a feel for how things are going. These AMIs are available in all public AWS regions and GovCloud, so you can get going straight away. And if you're operating more in a serverless mode, then AWS Step Functions would be your friend. Certainly a great way to orchestrate lots and lots of different interactions that are taking place, particularly based on different conditions and outcomes, etc. And now you can assign AWS tags to your AWS Step Function resources. So this makes it much easier for you to uh, organize, track, bill, etc. All those kinds of things that we like tagging for that is now available for AWS Step Functions. A couple of nice updates in the IoT world. AWS IT Core now enables customers to store their messages for disconnected devices. So this uses something called persistent sessions. And these are a standard of MQTT 3.1.1. And what this means is that it can allow the devices to store subscription information when they're disconnected. And so when a device reconnects and resumes a persistent session, its subscriptions will automatically be reinstated and any stored messages will be delivered. So this is a, a nice, uh, important thing for a particular set of use cases. So that feature is now available now. And if you're looking for a platform to do a bit of IoT stuff on there, the Renesas RX65N system on a chip is now qualified for the Amazon Free RTOS uh, operating system. And this means you can get going really, really fast. This particular starter kit includes a system on a chip with Ethernet, TFT display, LCD controller, USB 2.0, SD expansion slot, and more. And the system on a chip itself is a RXV2 CPU core, 640K on-chip RAM, and two mega flash. So plenty to get you going on that one. A couple of management updates to share with you. AWS Config, which helps you track changes in your environment so you can determine if you're within or without policy, I guess you might say, or breaking policy. It now supports the AWS Service Catalog. So if people have made changes to your AWS Service Catalog that uh, don't make sense, you can now understand the configuration history changes, you can do alerts, you can take action, etc., and you can use it for audit purposes or just operational troubleshooting. Essentially, it lets you understand what has changed and when. If you're using the AWS Single Sign-On capability, you can now direct users to a specific AWS Management Console page. So this is a nice way to simply allow your customers to have a better experience when they're logging on. Let's say they always go to the EC2 page or the S3 page or the Athena page for argument's sake. You can direct your users directly to that particular page based upon their profile. Now we haven't talked about mobile lately. We haven't talked about mobile testing for a while, but certainly AWS Device Farm is one of my favorite services for getting testing done on a broad range of different devices. You can test your native applications, your hybrid applications, your browser-based apps on 
pretty much any kind of device you can think of uh, that's commonly deployed globally. You can test them whether they're connected to Wi-Fi or local network connection or running standalone, etc. And now you can run Appium tests written in Ruby or Node.js against these particular applications. Now, this joins a wide range of different uh testing frameworks that you can use and makes it easy for you to deploy your applications in the way that you'd like. So you can use things like Espresso, XCTest, Appium Python, Appium Java, and of course now you can use Appium Ruby and Node.js as well. So if you want to test your devices on scale and test a broad range of devices but really don't want to go down to the shops and buy those devices all the time, this would be the service for you. If you deploy desktops, and uh, certainly if you're a Citrix user, this uh, new quick start will be really interesting to you. This particular quick start deploys Citrix virtual apps and desktops services on AWS very, very quickly. How quickly, you ask? In about 90 minutes. That's pretty good. Uh, it's it's uh, longer than a coffee break, but it could make a decent lunch, I would say, if you kick that off and then go have your lunch and then come back. This uh, is really useful for users who want to set up a trial deployment or want to accelerate a production implementation by automating their foundation setup. Uh, it was built in collaboration with Citrix Systems, who is an AWS partner, network partner, and this is a really great starting point to work from. And finally, a quick certification update. There is a new specialty exam that is in beta at the moment, and this is the AWS Certified Alexa Skill Builder. And this is a specialty exam to showcase your ability to build Alexa skills. Now this exam also comes with uh, some free digital self-paced training. And if you're a beta candidate, you can take the newest exam first for just 150 US dollars. And this is available from January 7th through the 1st of February, 2019. And registration will be open until capacity is reached. And beta exams typically take 90 days or less to get after the close of the exam, because this is a, a beta by definition. But this is a great way to validate your ability to build, test, publish, and certify Amazon Alexa skills. So that was a quick update. As I mentioned in an earlier podcast, going to try and break up the update episodes into two update episodes per month in general. That's not a hard and fast rule, but try and do that to keep the uh, episodes a little bit shorter and easier to consume for you. We will be having a lot more special series this year to give you a diverse range of different information and views, plus some really good deep dive interviews as well that are coming along very, very soon. As ever, we do love to get your feedback, awspodcast at amazon.com. Feel free to give us a rating on your podcatcher of choice. And until next time, keep on building.